Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into my top 10 new August films in today's episode. What's this? What's this? The simply sensational standing ovation on Royal Dalton Music Hall. What is this? If you're new or if you just haven't listened to one of my top 10 monthly film episodes before, uh, what this episode will do is take everything I saw in August of 2019, asterisk for the first time, so rewatches do not count, and uh, gives you the top 10 movies from that long list. Uh, Looking at August right now, all the movies I saw... I watched 150 different films during August, and 1, 2, 3, 4 of them were rewatches. So 146 new films were seen in August. This is the top 10 of those 146. Uh, It was a pretty good month. Uh, I watched a lot of short films this month, but only one of them was able to make this list. And I saw a lot of uh, 2010 stuff, most of it pretty bad, uh, in preparation for the 2010 Circle of Film Awards. And there will be a couple of those movies on this list as well. There will also be films on the list that I've talked about. Uh, So in that regard, you know, I will kind of be a little breezier when I talk about those movies. But uh, for the most part, we're just going to talk about each of these movies one at a time. I'll tell you, you know, my thoughts... Uh, my rating for them, and uh, when I saw them. So, without any further ado, let's get in to August 2019's Top 10 New Films. Number 10 is a film I saw August 14th, 2019. It is 115 minutes long, just shy of two hours. It is a 2019 film. My brief summary, a young man searches for home in a city always changing. I gave this a 76. It has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, and that is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Directed by Joe Talbot, starring Jimmy Fales, Jonathan Majors, Rob Morgan, Tachina Arnold, Mike Epps, Finn Whitrock, Danny Glover, and others. Uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. My brief summary is kind of a unhelpful i guess uh really jimmy fails playing a character named jimmy fails uh he was also one of the writers on the film along with joe talbert and rob reichert is kind of down on his luck doesn't have any money he and his best friend played by jonathan majors who is montgomery allen or mont he tell he he mentions this story of this this house in san francisco this beautiful house He goes to it, he takes care of it, even though there are people living there that tell him not to take care of it. He, you know, they catch him painting their, uh, their their window shade, uh, window shutters and things like that. But he maintains that his grandfather built the house and, you know, he has, he calls his grandfather the first black man in San Francisco. And so it's his dream his hope, his desire to one day 
uh, get that house back. And some circumstances arise in the film that lead him to reside in this house. The movie doesn't have a a big, you know, narrative plot going on. It's more of a, you know, smaller slice of life character piece surrounding Jimmy and Montgomery. And that is a lot of fun to watch. I think their characters are great. They are very fun to see not only interact with each other, but interact with the people around them. Uh, You know, it it just, it's a lot of... I think the the thing that draws me to the movie and why I ended up scoring it as high as I did is it's it's a movie that really gives the viewer a lot of hope, you know, and I think even at the end of it when uh, various truths come out and, and various uh, confrontations have to be made, it still ends up being a really passionate plea and, and passionate... Um, presentation of what hope can can bring you because hope is a tricky thing uh you know politicians run campaigns on hope uh you know if you are religious there is a lot of hope uh in in a lower age hope involved in 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 prayer in in faith and in in more and things like that there if you watch a sports game, you're hoping that something will happen. If you if you bet on on things, if you know there, there's you know if you apply to get a job, if you apply to get into a school, there's hope everywhere. It's all it's a huge idea that runs rampant, and I think this movie does a great job of showing both the highs and lows of what hope can do. And uh, I think in a, in a more specific way, it, it addresses the idea of blind hope. Uh, which is, you know, hope against all reason is, I guess, the way I would describe it. And I think I find that really fascinating. And I think Talbot and, uh, and, connect, uh, and Jimmy Fails, who, you know, this is the first movie he's been in, I think. Uh, second movie that he's been in. You know, the two of them make this movie really interesting and really enjoyable uh, to kind of follow through because I think you you go into a movie like this and you probably expect a lot of the worst and while you know it can't all be sunshine and, and roses for our man Jimmy Fails it's still a lot of positivity uh, a lot more than a movie like this uh, might might deserve in most cases but I think it earns it completely uh, in this so that is my number 10 from August with a 76, directed by Joe Talbot, starring Jimmy Fails and Jonathan Majors, the last black man in San Francisco. My number nine <clears throat> is a foreign language film. I saw it August 23rd, 2019. It's 105 minutes long. It is from 2010. My brief summary, a writer meets a woman that discusses the ideas expressed in his latest book. I gave this a 77. It has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Abbas Kiarostami, starring Juliette Binoche and William Schimmel, among others. Schimmel, Schimmel, Schimmel. And, and that is certified copy. 
this is one I'd heard mentioned a lot uh, as far as something I needed to watch from 2010 before I could, you know, sufficiently do my 2010 Circle Film Awards. I agree. I, you know, I'd seen it listed on Letterboxd a lot as a high, highly rated film from this year, as a popular film that I hadn't seen yet. So it had been on my radar for quite a while. And finally, mid-August, I, I was able to watch it. <clears throat> as it turns out, uh, Certified Copy was the 8,000th film added to my spreadsheet, uh, which is pretty big. Uh, you know, we're up to 8,050 by now, but, you know, almost two weeks ago, uh, I hit 8,000, and that was a huge milestone. And this was a very worthy film uh, to hit that number with. To get a little more in-depth into what Certified Copy is, uh, William Chamel is a... Uh, English writer who talks about the idea of it's tough to explain uh, of in short copying and what and sort of all the different permutations within that whether you know the creativity behind it the originality behind it uh, you know whether or not it is something to accept or demonize and and how to react to seeing a copy of something and so on and so forth uh the idea here being if i paint a picture that is beautiful and somebody else comes along and paints the same picture just as beautiful uh by copying me uh you know how how do i how do you reconcile as someone who didn't paint either picture uh what to feel about this copy, you know, is the, you know, it attacks the ideas of plagiarism, it attacks the ideas of, of cheating, and pirating, you know, becomes a big com uh, comparison point uh, to what this movie touches on. And, and in the film, uh, William Schmel's character, James Miller, is advocating on the side of copying which is very interesting he finds um, let me see if i can pull it up here but uh his his premise uh you know he says that art i'm pulling this off wikipedia a little bit but in art he argues issues of authenticity are irrelevant because Every rep reproduction is itself an original, and even the original is a copy of another form. So, for example, uh, an oft-cited uh, film in terms of uh, just re a remake that's not really a remake, but is a remake, Avatar. A lot of people hate on Avatar for the various other movies and stories that it pulls from, that it takes, that it repurposes for its own gain. Uh, Mulan or uh, Pocahontas and Fern Gully, which they of they and in them they and they of themselves are re rehashes, remakes, and copies of stories told before their time. And you can go further and further and further and back and back and back and back down that line infinitely. And so, the argument that that the issue of our authenticity is irrelevant is a pretty bold one to take and certified copy the film 
and and the book he wrote is also titled Certified Copy, involves Juliette Binoche. She is a French woman. She is an antiques dealer. And uh, she and her son uh, attend an event where Miller is speaking and eventually purchase a couple of his books, get them to sign them. And they meet and become, uh, you know, they kind of become acquainted and go off gallivanting together. And as they talk, as they commune, they debate over some of the points of the book. Uh, You know, if, you know, can you take an authentic original photograph if every picture is, air quotes, a copy of whatever you're taking the picture of? I don't know. If it's a painting of a thing that exists, isn't that a copy as well? And... If you have an idea that you write down, isn't the thing you wrote down a copy of your idea and the idea was conjured by something else from your imagination and so on and so on ad nauseum. And the movie tries to kind of get under the skin and get under into the flesh of this this premise and how pervasive it really is around us. So I won't get into more of that. That's kind of the idea of the movie. It's the two of them going through um, Paris in Tuscany, Italy. They go, sorry, they go through Italy and just kind of grow as a pair. And it's really fascinating to watch. I think Chamel and Binoche are fantastic. Binoche, always fantastic. Chamel, I'm not really familiar with outside of this film. Uh, but he's been in a more, and that's kind of it. So, <clears throat> certified copy. I recommend it. Uh, it's it's it scratches a, a very unique itch as a film, and I think that is to be applauded, which is interest, which is strange because it is uh, you know it is a certified copy. It is an indictment of originality in a way. So, certified copy, my number nine from August with a 77. Number eight. <clears throat> number eight I've talked about a lot, or I've talked about already, so I won't, I won't get too deep into it. I saw it August 30th, 2019. It's 105 minutes long. It's a 2019 film. My summary, an idealized black teenager's image is challenged by one of his teachers and his parents. I gave it a 77 as a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Julius Ona, starring Naomi Watts, Kelvin Harrison Jr., Octavia Spencer, Tim Roth, among others, and that is Loose. Uh, If you haven't listened to the review episode for Loose, check that out. I, I encourage you to do so. Loose is a very, very deceptively brilliant film. Uh, from Julius Ona, the director of The Cloverfield Paradox. And Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s performance is top-notch. It is a force, and I hope there's some recognition for this movie come award season. Uh, I only gave it a 77, so the I don't know how far it will reach in my own awards come the end of the year, but I, I really think there's a lot of great stuff in this that deserves attention most especially kelvin harrison jr and uh octavia spencer naomi watts and tim roth all four of them are are great they're all great and so my number eight 
won't say anything else. Loose, check it out, listen to the review, do what you gotta do. Uh, number eight in August with a 77. Number seven is another foreign language film from the very beginning of the month. I saw it August 1st, 2019. It's 103 minutes long. It's from 2018. It's one I wanted to have seen uh, in time for last year's Circle Film Wars. Did not get around to it. I really expected it to have an impact. Uh, I don't think it would have, but it would have come close. Uh, my brief summary, a girl assigned male at birth wants to be a ballerina and complete her transition. I gave this a 77. It has an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's directed by Lucas Daunt and stars Victor Polster, Aria Warthalter, Oliver Bedard, Tijman Govertz, among others, and that is Girl. Girl. Ha. Huh. Uh, girl, Victor Polster plays Lara, who is uh, born and assigned the gender of male, and now at the age of 15, as she is transitioning to become uh, an, a female in the eyes of everyone else and in her own eyes and, and make her body look the way she feels inside, uh, wants to be a ballerina. And the film follows her, her path toward um, Acceptance isn't really the right word here, but it it, it juggles the the emotions of uh, of Lara very in your face. It's very blunt with with her feelings, and I liked how smaller scale this movie is. It doesn't make a big show about her transition. It doesn't go beyond her and her family and her you know classes. It's really just, this is a decision that she made, and it is having this effect on her own life. And it is difficult. Uh, it, this girl pushes pushes just how hard, pushes as hard as it can on her psyche and what she's able to survive in this transition because I wouldn't say it, it, it's something like boys don't cry where it feels like every time she turns around, you know, somebody's bullying her or somebody's making fun of her or she's being put down for the decision or for the for the changes that are ch happening to her. But it's more of an internal thing. The film is much more concerned with what's happening inside. And I think a lot of the times when we see a character, a transitioning character portrayed in a movie, uh, they're just happy. They are... Uh, at least from in terms of I chose to do this, I chose to go from male to female or from female to male, or you know, I chose to make this change, uh, they generally seem very content on an internal scale. It is an external problem for them in most movies. This movie, it is almost entirely an internal uh, dilemma for Laura, as, you know, she wants... To, to speed up the change because it's killing her not to have the body she wants. It's, you know, every, every tiny setback, every, you know, speed bump in her path to, to 
actual actualizing what she wants to look like and what she wants to be is you know it's not just oh i you know I, i didn't get this question right on this test i'll do better next time it's no this is my entire life it is an the stakes in this are so incredibly high and if it doesn't work out i could kill myself you know that is how extremely important all of this is to her and and watching her wrestle with all those emotions constantly at play and then on top of that you have her trying to become a ballerina and if you aren't familiar with how difficult and and intense it is to train to become a ballerina it is very 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 hard and the girl does not pull any punches on that on that side of uh, of the film either you know, being coming ballerina is actively working against her in her transition. And that comes into play because, you know, being a ballerina, it's, it requires complete commitment. And the possibility of the, the, the notion of pausing and taking time off could kill any hopes of, of, realizing that dream the film includes a very beautiful father-daughter relationship father or parent-child relationship uh between her father played by area warthalter warthalter and i again this is another situation where i think a lot of the parents in a movie like this are typically portrayed in a specific way and in this movie they aren't he isn't you know, he, it's a very different take on that relationship. And I, I really appreciated it. Um, I think it's one of my favorite depictions of a parent child relationship. And finally, the last scene, the last sequence of the film uh, was particularly heartbreaking and really hit me uh, watching it. So I recommend it. Girl, my number seven, seven in August with a 77 uh, from 2018. Girl. Number six is a documentary, the only documentary that makes the list this month. I saw it August 18th, 2019. It is 88 minutes long. It is from 2011. My summary, the impact of AIDS on San Francisco. Gave this a 77 as well. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. <clears throat> and uh, it is directed by David Weisman and Bill Weber, uh, starring real people, and it is called We Were Here. We Were Here looks at um, sort of the individual response to the early years of the AIDS crisis, uh, spe- specifically in San Francisco. And focuses on just what could be done about, you know, this this still existing calamity. Uh, you know, many, many strides have been taken uh, in the years since. We first had the AIDS crisis first, first came about, but it's still here. You know, there's still people with AIDS and uh, it still still affects a lot of people 
<clears throat> and I, you know, th this isn't, I wouldn't say that this really showed me anything new on a, on a macro perspective of the AIDS crisis. I don't think the trajectory, the timeline really changed from what I thought it was, but we were here. What it, what it does so well is it, it just gives a voice to these survivors, gives a voice to these people, uh, who, you know, would walk around with their heads hanging low, you know, and it's just the, the pervasive nature of AIDS and, and how it would ripple through an entire community uh, is terrifying, it's terrible, it's tragic, it's, uh, you know, and, and the people who had a chance, who, who were in positions to do something about it made all the wrong decisions so many times. I, I, I really the hearing the survivors hearing hearing the people who were there who who lived through the worst of it uh you know was was so powerful for me and you know just just you know when they were trying to find a cure uh for aids and and for hiv and it took, I don't know how long it took, but it felt, you know, one of the, somebody, one of the people in the documentary mentions how it felt like every day there was a new cure. Every day they had a new thing. And after, you know, after a couple of weeks, after a month, after two months of, of we've got a new cure happening every day, you know, it kind of becomes pretty clear that the people taking these, these, miracle cures that don't end up working are the guinea pigs in this instance they are the ones testing the drug they're you know be it's a it's a shame uh, you know this aids was a gay issue at the time and by framing it that way it made it far less important to fix. Um, I mean, just people suck. That's, that's, that's the down and dirty of it. People kind of suck a lot. And uh, this shows the effect that has on, on a lot of people and their families, their lives, their friends, their everyone. So it's not an easy watch. It's a pretty tough watch, but it is short, coming in at just 88 minutes. Uh, and that's We Were Here from 2011. I gave it a 77. We're halfway through. That was number six. Let's move on to number five. This is another of the films from 2010 that I was told I needed to see uh, for, for the yearly Circle of Film Awards. Uh, saw it August 24th, 2019. It's 94 minutes long from 2010. My summary, four incompetent terrorists set out to commit terrorism. I gave this an 81. It is an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Christopher Morris, uh, who is the only thing of his I've seen and does not have many other credits. Starring Riz Ahmed, Nigel Lindsay, 
Kaven Novak, Adil Akhtar, Arshar Ali, Benedict Cumberbatch, Julia Davis, among others, is four lions. Four lions. Uh, it's a movie that, again, I had heard about a lot. I It's a high on most lists in, in Letterboxd. It's a very popular movie. 29,000 people have logged it. It's got a 3.7 on, on Letterboxd. I thought it was a foreign language film, which is probably what kind of put what put me off from seeing it so so uh, until now. Just it's just it, it takes so much more energy to watch a foreign language film, and I don't know. There's other things that aren't in a foreign language to watch, but it is not actually. Uh, it is very much in English. There are some subtitles, but in general, it is an English film, and it's pretty much just what it is. Four British terrorists who think that they can, you know, do and commit acts of terror are actually just terrible at it. It is a comedy. It is brilliant as a comedy. Uh, If you are familiar with uh, the movie In the Loop, which is based on, oh, what's the name of the show? Uh, The Thick of It? Thick of it. Is that what it's called? Um, I'm not sure. I think think it's the thick of it. Uh, If you're familiar with the thick of it or in the loop, it is from one of the same screenwriters, two of the same screenwriters as that film. Uh, So the dialogue is great. It manages to walk the line between you know, offensive and hilarious beautifully. I, you know, the fact that it's made in British, it's a British movie about British people gives it enough separation that I think you can enjoy it for what it is. I don't know if it could have come, it could have been uh, made in America because... Not that, you know, other countries aren't just as sensitive to terrorism as we are, but <clears throat> the 9-11 and, and the fallout of that seems to have had a much bigger uh, impact on the American psyche than to the effect, to, to the point where I couldn't name you a terrorist attack that happened other than 9-11, honestly. I don't, not that there weren't many, not that they aren't tragic and terrible, but I couldn't name you one. And... 9-11 is just, you just know it. It just it just affected a lot of people here, and that's just how things are. So, uh, giving that, given that distance, uh, not that for me, watching this, it would have mattered much where it took place. I do think the British sensibilities of this work really well, uh, particularly for Riz Ahmed and Nigel Lindsay. They are brilliant. Nigel Lindsay as Barry is one of the funniest characters I've ever seen. I laughed a lot through this movie. Uh, Anytime Nigel Lindsay and Riz Ahmed were in the same scene together, it was pure, just, just perfection. You know, it was chef's kiss. Wow. Their chemistry is perfect. Uh... And, and I think it's really the, the two of them and, and the rest of the cast who make a movie like this that was 
no matter where it was going to be potentially tricky to to pull off it just it feels like such a breeze it, it never feels it never really veers into questionable sketchy territory it is full-on laugh-a-thon for me anyway the whole way through and yeah i i just i, I found so much to enjoy in this it was quite quite a stunning revelation it, it really it mines this idea for all the humor inside it and it has a there's a lot more humor in in incompetent terrorism than you probably expect there to be so if you haven't seen four lions check it out i recommend it it's very 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 good that is four lions my number five from uh, august with a with an 81 four lions next is the only short film that made the list this month <clears throat> uh, i saw it august 8th 2019 it's eight minutes long it's from 1948 the only film from this top 10 list from before 2010 uh, my summary after heckling the champion bugs is drawn into the ring as a challenger bugs bunny has an 81 i gave it an 81 did not have a rotten tomato score directed by chuck jones Starring the brilliant, brilliant voice talents of Mel Blanc, Blank, Mel Blanc, and Billy Bletcher. Blank as Bugs Bunny and the ring, around, ring announcer, Billy Bletcher as the champ. And this is called Rabbit Punch. Heckling the Champ. Uh, I mean, it's a short movie. There's not much to summarize. Like I said in my brief summary, uh, there's a champ, box, uh, you know, boxing champ, who wins a round. Bugs heckles him, and he... Ch- he calls bugs out and has him has the two of them fight and uh chuck jones one of the best uh looney tunes directors and i think michael maltese was the writer on this one uh who's one of the better writers for these looney tunes shorts but the champ the boxing guy he doesn't really have a name uh, and at least not in this. Uh, battling Magook. Yes. Battling Magook. He is, I think, outside of Daffy, my favorite uh, antagonist for Bugs. He, you know, not even, you know, you know, Elmer doesn't even make the top two. This guy is perfect. The gags are brilliant. Uh, he really does feel like a menacing figure. It, you know, my my favorite uh, shorts with Bugs are the ones where it feels like he's not always got the upper hand, and this certainly has that feel to it. Um, so, I mean, you could find it on YouTube, probably. You can find it on Vimeo or you know anywhere you want. I'm sure it's free somewhere. Uh, if you haven't seen a Looney Tune short in a while, I recommend this one rabbit punch just a lot of wrestling boxing championship boxing match gags happening and really fun great voice work from from bletcher and blank and blank so give it a check uh you know i've been watching a lot of these looney tunes shorts for mel blank specifically uh but they're a lot of fun there's some really great ones uh rabbit punch is one of the, the best one i saw in august so check it out 
check it out. I'm sure it's been a while since most of you have seen uh, a Looney Tunes short film. So try this one. Try this one. Rabbit Punch, my number four, with an 81, number four in August. Number three is another film that I've talked about. In fact, the last three are all films that I've done review episodes for. So uh, we won't spend too much more time on any of them. <clears throat> but number three, saw it uh, August 23rd, 2019, 91 minutes long. It's a 2019 film. Summary, two men go on a journey leaving their previous lives behind. It's an 80, I gave it an 84, has a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, and that is The Peanut Butter Falcon, directed by Tyler Nielsen and Michael Schwartz, starring Shia LaBeouf, Zach Gutsagan, Dakota Johnson, John Hawks, Thomas Hayden Church, Bruce Dern, John Bernthal, and others. Uh, like I said in my review, it's a lot of fun. It's very sweet. It's very charming. It plays with some familiar tropes, uh, Adventures of Huck Finn type stuff, and gives you new, different looks at uh, some of the same beats. I think the performances are great, uh, particularly Shia LaBeouf and Zach Gutsagan, but the whole cast is very strong. And if you can find it, check it out. You know, it's still out in theaters now. It's continuing to reach more and more theaters, and it's worth a look. It's a... You know, it's a very um, sugary movie. It, you know, it gives you kind of what you want. It gives you the joy and the happiness. But there's a lot more happening underneath the surface. And, and these characters are ones that I, I really feel a strong attachment to. And uh, Peanut Butter Falcon. That's it. The Peanut Butter Falcon. Go check it out. It's my number three in August with an 84. Number two, uh, which again, there's a of your uh, there is a review episode for this as well, is a movie I saw August 9th, two thousand nineteen. It's ninety three minutes long from twenty nineteen. My summary: A Chinese American woman returns to China where her grandmother is given a terminal cancer diagnosis. It has a ninety? I give it a ninety. It has a ninety nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Lulu Wang, starring Aquafina among others, is The Farewell. The Farewell, incredible film, um, just go, go see it, it's still in theaters, uh, I think it's leaving theaters, a lot of theaters this weekend, but it might still be out there if you can find it, if not, uh, try and find it on, on streaming or home video or something, uh, Aquafina's great, Sima, uh, Diana Lin, Z Zhao Shuzhen, Lu Han, like the whole cast is incredible. It's a great ensemble and it's a brilliant look into a culture that as strange as it may feel to an Amer to an American pair of eyes has a lot of similarities to to what we are familiar with. Um, it is a very touching story and a very tragic one at the same time and uh, yeah, the farewell. Give it a give it a, give it a chance. It deserves your attention. It is a very very special movie. Currently ranked 154th all time on Letterboxd. So that's number two in August with a with a 90. The farewell. And last and obviously not least, my number one film from August. Saw this August. Well. I saw it August 27th and August 28th. I've seen it twice. 
but the first time was still this month. 2019 film, uh, 127 minutes long. It is a foreign language film. My summary, an unemployed family ingratiates themselves into a wealthy family's life. Has a, I give it a 93. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Bong Joon-ho. Starring Song Kang-ho, Lee Sun-kyun, Cho Yo-jong, Choi Woo-shik, Park So-dam, Lee Jong-yoon, and Chang Hyai-jin, among others, is Parasite. I did a review for this. Uh, check that out. If you know, No spoilers in the Parasite review. Uh, or maybe... Maybe it's like half not, no spoilers and half spoilers. There's a spoiler bumper. Uh, check that out if you want to learn more about it. Uh, see this movie. That's all. See this movie. Um, I think it comes out in theaters in October officially. Uh, but if you can find a early screening of it, I would highly recommend it. I, I loved it. I think it's one of, if not, Bong, if not the best film from Bong Joon-ho stars an incredible cast who are giving wonderful performances it has a little bit of us in it it has a little bit of burning in it if either of those films uh, struck your fancy and parasite yeah i watched it back to back days i may still watch it a third time um yeah it it hit me hit me pretty hard so my number one from 2019 is Parasite in August. Going back back through, my top 10 films from August from 10 to 1, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Certified Copy, Loose, Girl, We Were Here, Four Lions, Rabbit Punch, The Peanut Butter Falcon, The Farewell, and Parasite. That's it. Those are the 10. Thank you for listening to today's episode. It does mean a lot. If you would like to hear more episodes go to itunes stitcher places where podcasts can be found including my website circleoffilm.com for that and much more if you'd like to check out or rather if you would like to get in touch with me talk to me about any of these movies about any other movies uh right into the show you can find me on twitter at circle of film you can email circle of film at gmail.com or you can uh find me on letterbox at circle of film you can support the show, like it, rate it, review, subscribe it, uh, subscribe to it, tell your friends, or you know, just listen, really. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash circle of film and become a patron for as little as eight cents an episode, which will give you early access to all episodes, including this one, which was released uh, I think at least a day early, but potentially one, two, three, four days early. So uh, yeah, I'm getting I'm getting there. I'm getting better at doing these early episodes. Thank you for listening, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same tonight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same adieu. Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. So long, farewell, oh, what I'll be to say. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.